let's crack open a beer and share some thoughts. Welcome to Opinions and we're back in your ears once again and we are celebrating nine years of the Beer O'Clock Show, aren't we Martin? That's uh, that's a long time that this thing's been running now. It is. I think you say this just to confuse Andrew and especially Luke of Rhythm and Brews because they can never work out between Beer O'Clock Show and Opinions, Steve. <laughs> that, that's true. Well, they're one and the same, but let's let, let's let's put it this way. It's, it's, it's nine years since the Beer O'Clock Show product started. Um, the, the, the fifth Opinions birthday is coming up in September. September for anybody that's keeping count but as it's a celebration episode we are not alone are we mate no and um we have a very very esteemed guest on welcome to opinions mr matt curtis martin and steve it's so great to be here thank you it's great to have you on with us matt very much looking forward to chatting to you this week and i know we're going to be talking to you about your new book modern british beer and we're going to be enjoying a few beers from from that book as well but before we get into that as is customary on these celebratory episodes we've got a few stats to to share with our listeners so uh, this is actually podcast number 370 for us and that's including all sorts of various spin-offs and little side projects that we've done in that time and to date we've featured 981 beers uh, across all of those formats now that's not unique beers We've not quite done that number crunching yet, untapped style. But trust me, there is that spreadsheet is coming in, in the future at some point. And over that time, there are a number of breweries that we've featured um, quite a lot, actually. And these generally don't change from year to year. So our current top three breweries are sitting at the top is, is, is Brewdog, which I think we've featured about 34 times on the show in, in terms of beers. Then it's Fuller's. And, and I think there's a, there's a very obvious reason for Fuller's is because we, we feature them every year um, at the end of year show. But we also did that massive show where we did all of the, uh, the, the vintages from a period of time. And then in third place, it's kind of a tie between uh, Thornbridge and Beaver town who have both been featured i think 19 times each so um that and then underneath that there's a whole new load of breweries that have been featured quite a lot so it'll be interesting to see how that begins to change maybe over the next year and over that period of nine years there have only been until tonight actually and it's going to change there have only been two beers so far that have been featured three times on 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 the podcasts martin do you want to have a guess at what those two beers might be I knew you were going to give me a quiz tonight, Steve. And I hate quizzes on the spot. Um, Jaipur? Jaipur is one of them, yes. It was featured twice on the old Beer O'Clock show, so in, in its original format and then in the revisited. And then obviously you and I did the, the, the live show from Peak Ender, which Jaipur was pretty much the only feature of uh, that show, I think. Yes, yeah, we tried talking about it as much as possible for about an hour. <laughs> yeah. Um, and what's, what's the other one then? Well, I was going to say Ghost Ship. But no. I'm not sure, given that you didn't reference Adnams in the top three breweries. So I have to admit, I'm a little stumped at what the other one might be. It's Gamma Ray, which I think you and I have actually featured twice. Have we really? On did, we, did, yeah. did we do it once at the brewery with Nick? Yes, we, we did. Because wasn't yeah. it wasn't the ultra fresh one we had. Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. damn. Okay. So, and as I say, Tonight, there is a third beer joining that illustrious 
crowd it's two it's two beers a crowd uh, <laughs> there's a third beer joining and that is the first beer that we're drinking this evening which is fine owl owls y'all um and you know what we're not going to introduce this we're, we're going to get our guests to introduce this beer because matt this is also the first beer that appears in your book isn't it it is and very intentionally so for many reasons actually but yeah fine ales y'all what a beer it would have celebrated its 10th anniversary in style this year at Fine Fest, which was it was first brewed for the first ever Fine Fest ten years ago, um, as a, the second beer in the UK ever to be brewed with Citra. Uh, the first one was Oakham Citra, and the story of these two beers is actually intertwined with uh, people in the industry at the time. And it's bittered with Citra, which and Citra is a very bitter hop when you use it on the the hot side of brewing. Um, but it's also got all that lovely citrus uh, aromatics. But it's also a pretty special place to go and drink a beer if you can ever get up to Glen Fine, especially to Fine Fest, which is amazing. But I wanted to do the book chronologically uh, by place. And I wanted to start in Scotland and work down to London and the southeast. And there was an obvious beer that would have been the first beer, which would have been punk. Um, but I decided that I wanted a, a beer that I love because this book is basically very raw. It's very me on the page. And I wanted to start with a beer that I am incredibly passionate about. And, so, and Jarl was the obvious one. It, and, and, you know, they say when you write a book, you have your beginning, middle and end. And Jarl was, was the beginning. Um, I think it really uh, sets the tone for the way I write about the beers in the book. And it's one of my all-time favorite beers as well. Uh, and breweries. Um, pr a proper farmhouse brewery. I think I first had this beer on cask in 2013. And it's been a, a favourite ever since. What can you say? 3.8%, 100% citra, pale ale. Um, it's delicious. I'm glad we've got two cans. It's, it's very delicious. Shall we, um, shall we have a little cheers and welcome you properly to the show? Yeah. So, so thanks for that fantastic introduction on this beer. Cheers. 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 Now... Oh, that is bitter. Uh, it's just perfect, though. It's, it's, it's it, like on a warm evening like tonight. It's, you, you couldn't get anything more drinkable than that, really, could you? It is, it is superb, though, isn't it? It is a superb, dry, bitter, fruity example of... And this is probably part of what weaves its way through your book, of, of the sessionable type of British beer as well. Um, it's... And you are right. I mean, cask is where I think most people would always want to have it. And if you wanted people to have Yarl for the first time, you'd probably want them to have it on cask. Ideally, uh, up at Lock Fine, and that pic the, the couple of pictures in your book, Matt, don't really help when you're sitting in your back garden in self-isolation. So I wish I'd skip that myself. Um, it does transport you when you start knowing a bit more about the backstory. I mean, I think me and Steve were talking, but well, aren't they coming up fine? Are coming up for their 20th anniversary now? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I think it's I think it's this later on this year. They're twenty years old, so they already had ten years, half the time already pre yarl I mean, it's pretty amazing, really. When a lot of people would just go back as far as yarl I think something that's really important about this beer as well, because Camera, the campaign for real ale, are publishing the book, and they've been really great, and they're really excited about it because there's a lot of stuff in it that is is not very Camera. But I love real ale, and. Yarl's a great example of a beer that is, I think it's best on cask, but if you have it in can or keg and, and bottle, it comes in all four formats and mini mini keg or mini cask now as well. So I guess five, but it, it tastes a little bit different, even though it's the same beer, but it is a great representation of how a beer 
can work across all the formats and it, it, a bit of a, a great equaler to start with. I think that was really important for me. So Matt, we've obviously mentioned we're, we're going to talk about the, the, the book. Um, I don't think we've actually titled it yet. We've just talked about the book. So the, the, the book is called Modern, Modern British Beer. It's, as you say, it's been published by Camera and it's officially out when is, is it? August the 12th. It's literally at the printers coming back in a week or two. Um, I've not seen a physical copy yet. So um yeah, uh, three and a half weeks, um, and it's you know this is it's been about whew, sixteen months since I first pitched the idea. Um, uh, it's it's like a child. I'm like it's like I'm expecting the birth of a of a child. So it's um, it's going to be really emotional. <laughs> you, you must be properly excited about it. Um, tell us w- without giving too much away. Um, d- tell us about the book. What 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 is it about? Um, how did you come up with the idea and, and, and tell us the journey that you went on essentially in, in, in putting the book together and matching the, uh, the, the wonderful photography that's in it as well, because we've been lucky enough to, to see a sort of PDF advanced copy of it. And it, 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 it's a thing of beauty on PDF. I can't wait to actually see the physical copy of it. So, 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 so yeah, basically tell us, tell us all about it. Thank you. Uh, on the design, I, I got, a remarkable amount of editorial control. And I must say thank you to Alan Murphy, who was the commissioning editor, and Katie Button, who was the uh, the main editor on that book. They were both incredible, and they gave me loads of space, um, which I'll talk about in a bit, um, because I think it, it's quite raw. It's very much me on the page. Um, it, it's not sort of like me edited. It's, it's, um, it, it's, it's all out there, um, which is probably why I feel quite emotional about, about the book. Modern British Beer actually began in 2018. That's when I decided I wanted to write a book. Um, I'd been freelance for about uh, three years. And people would ask me, when are you going to do a book, Matt? And I really wanted to do a book, and I was almost willing to do anything. And I came up with this pitch for a book, and I, I met an agent uh, in, a, in a beer garden and, and uh, told her my idea. And she recommended a couple of people to pitch it to but she was like, oh, this craft beer is going to be over uh, in, in uh, a few months. We want to get it out for Christmas. Can you turn it around in three months? And I'm like, no, it's not what I want to do. And I, I was struggling a bit to like find a home for it. And I put it to one side. And in the sort of late 2018, I went for a beer with Pete Brown, a multi-published beer author and food author, and told him about my desire to write a book. And he just told me to wait you know, think about the idea, sit on it like, a, it, you know, it will come along uh, eventually. And it's worth, rather than just going for any old book, it's worth waiting for the ones that matter to you. Um, as fate comes around, two came to me at once. First, I got to do an opinionated guide to London pubs, which is my first book, um, which is out from a publisher called Hoxton Mini Press. When I got offered to do that, that was really exciting because I love pubs and London pubs where I live for 15 years but modern british beer so i was approached by alan murphy from camera books uh, at beer x um in 2020 just before the world changed forever but we sat down and had some lunch and i he said have you got any ideas and i told him about modern british beer and he really uh, he really liked the idea which was um i wanted to document kind of my experience as a, as a millennial beer drinker so i'm 38 uh, so I've been drinking legally for 20 years, but I've always had a passion for beer. If I think back to it now, you know, my dad loves his beer as much as I do. 
Um, and, you know, when I was 16, 17, he let me try things like Duval and, and, uh, and real ale um, and gave me a real taste for it. So I've always been really keen on, on beer. But um, I wanted to kind of document what it would be like, you know, consider that if you were turning 18 now and walked into a pub and saw the beer that was on uh, display, you'd see, um, you know, Beaver Town and, well, think about going into a craft beer pub that looks like a normal pub and you've got 20, 30 taps on. Beer has changed forever. And that's where the idea comes from, the fact that I think beer in the UK has has completely changed and it's not not a fad as it was often called craft beer uh it's it's revolutionary you know the, the styles the ranges the flavors um it's not you know it's not wholly a niche hobby this is something that's spilled into the mainstream and i wanted to to write a book about that but also when i started writing it i realized that actually not a lot has changed um that you know beers from 20 and 30, the bit, the book actually goes back to about 1993, some of the beers. So Kellam Island, Pale Rider um, and Rooster's Yankee are both in it. And I think they're the oldest beers. Um, and they were the first beers to use Cascade and, uh, and American hops. And that felt like a real uh, turning point. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to document this change and, and why I think it's import- important, why beer is important um, from my perspective as someone who has written about beer for, for 10 years now um, and more than half of that now professionally is, you know, it's my, it's my living. So I spend all day thinking about beer and writing about beer and, and, and doing my own podcast about beer. And that's, so that's where, you know, I had to put this all out on the page, which is why I'm really grateful after I, I pitched the idea and I, you know, I had to really refine the idea. They made me get the pitch really tight for them at camera. Um, and I'm really glad they gave me the opportunity to do it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's lot, it's, it's very different if you've got my London pubs book, which is like a little pocket guide to to 52 pubs. This is, um, 60,000 words. It's basically a thesis. It's my thesis on beer. Um, it's got, but the way I wanted to tell it was through the beers themselves. So the original plan was to write 80 essays about beer with a short intro and a short outro. Uh, but the, the intro ended up becoming like, 10,000 words itself because I started writing my philosophy of beer and I realized I needed to put it all out there. So the book ended up being 10,000 words longer than planned, but yes, 288 pages takes in 86 fantastic beers that I think when you put them all together, it's not, you know, it's not the sum total of all beer in the UK. That's really important. I just use them as case studies and there's big breweries. um, There's a couple of family breweries. There's some very, very small breweries. There's some very, very young breweries. There's some breweries that are about, 30 years old. Um, yeah. I, it, what was remarkable when I finished it, it was quite, it was, it was hard. I've never done anything so stressful in my life. I didn't realize uh, it just basically eight, three months of my life from like February to, to April. Um, that's all I worked on. Uh, and it was, it was some days were horrible where I just couldn't get the words out. Um, and some days were brilliant and I'd write 4,000 words. Um, but when I finished it, step back from it for a couple of days and then read it. I'm like, this, this feels like a book. Um, and, and I think it's really enjoyable. My aim was to write something that is fun and engaging to read. Um, it's, you know, it's consumer focused. It's not based on the industry. It's for drinkers. It's for, it's for people like you and me who just love beer. Uh, and, uh, and what, and I want to document this moment in time. It's going to be out of date from the day it gets published. 
uh, but it's it's this snapshot of of now and maybe over the years i'll be able to write updated versions and 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 new philosophies and and uh, things like that it's a, it's a good starting point for me as my first sort of proper full-length book that's the short version <laughs> <laughs> I, I think one of the things that, that, that came across there in what, what you've just said particularly in the introduction to, to to the book is you do you do talk about how the consumer and how they should sort of take the book and 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 how they should use it essentially how how important was it for you to get that particular message right in terms of here's a book it's what I think about beer you may agree you might not agree but I'm sure we can all agree the beers are great um how was was that kind of key for you to get across in that opening it was interesting that opening it's a great question because um when I first wrote the intro it was I got about 5,000 words in and then I went away from it for a little while and I ended up deleting the entire thing and starting again because I wasn't really explaining to the reader to the reader what the book was about and, and, and why it was important to me to be writing it. Because um, the first part, of the, there's a little bit of history, but it, it's not a history book. And it does say that in the book because there's, it, you know, beer history is, a, is its own vocation. Um, it's, it's, it's almost a different kind of, of writing. But there's a little bit of history just to set the background so that I can explain how we all experience beer in our own way. Um, and then... <laughs> I wanted to put my finger on why I I love beer and we love beer and why we drink beer. So the first chapter is called The Broad Spectrum of Joy. Without giving too much away, it kind of talks about that history. And then I talk about my dad's experience because my dad was probably the biggest influence on me in terms of a beer drinker from giving me my first pint of bitter to taking me to the US in 2010 where I had the beer that changed my life, Odell IPA, the beer that is, I'm a beer writer because I, I had that moment in my life that was pivotal. Um, and, you know, I, I, then I start to talk about my own lens, but then I start to talk about the experience of beer, you know, and I think about all the time we spend online in these heated debates. Sometimes it's we have really fun and engaging debates, but like at the end of the day, it all comes from a place of passion and I think a place of enjoyment. So I wanted to get all that out there as part of, uh, you know, a kind of, it's kind of uh, part philosophy, part thesis. It's like how I feel about the state of beer. Um, and I really wanted to ground it in like, why the hell do we drink it? Like, like, why is it there? You know, why, why are we so passionate about it? Why do we log our beers on untapped? Why do we start podcasts and blogs? I, I wanted to figure all that out um, through the context of British beer specifically. Because um, that in itself is is super complicated. I'll, I'll tell you what: if, if if the book had been out nine years ago, we probably would have taken it as a challenge and and ended up doing those eighty six beers as as, as eighty six episodes of a podcast because that they that they do really document a really broad spectrum of of what's available in the UK right now. Um, how that surely when you started, you had more than. 86 beers on, on a piece of paper that you were going to feature in the book or did you have less and it ended up becoming 86 beers no um the, the, the target was 80 and then I did like a long list which got to around 250 beers so one of the things I talk about in the book is regionality and how I think uh regionality is is super important to modern beer in the UK. And I give examples of, of 
regionality in terms of flavor and style throughout the book it kind of sets itself up actually just just writing about these different beers and the whole book is divided by region um and that made it a little bit easier because it meant i could only give a region a certain amount of beers um and and then once i got this long list i started to go with my gut i you know i that's how i think like what how do i feel about this um does it do i really want to tell this beer's story and i ended up with a list of oh, 90-ish of beers that I wanted to get down to 80. And I got it down to 86 because there were some beers um, I just couldn't I just couldn't figure out any more space to cut because I would cut too much from a certain region um, or I'd give one region more than the other. And like I said earlier, it's not like an example of beer all beers i just use these beers as case studies so in each region there are older breweries there are breweries that are a year old and style um so what i didn't want it to be was a book that was just cascale i I didn't didn't want to go down that sort of camera stereotype that was important to them as well this is this is a big deal for them there's a lot of beers in there that have never been printed in a camera book before um but i wanted you know there's always this conversation about how everything revolves around pale ales and IPAs. And I'm like, well, I love all styles. So I wanted the selection of beers to reflect everything. There's loads of lager in the book. There's lots of stouts and there's red ales and amber ales and there's saisons, whip beers. Um, uh, There's two pastry stouts. There's some amazing beers in there. One of my favorite stories in the book is Black Black Sheep. That, That was like doing the research for that and uncovering uh stuff about like their history it's, it's like is, is craft beer just history repeating itself like it, that was the interviews i did for that were like i was like just smiling at the answers so there's lots there's there's something for everyone which is reflect that's what the first chapter is about about how everyone's beer experience is is different um and this book is mine and if we take you back to your starting point in the book which is obviously scotland um there is obviously a, a, a brewery which I think we have to we have to talk about because without them, craft beer scene in the UK or modern British beer wouldn't be the same without them. And that was Brewdog. And just thinking about something you said about five minutes ago, which is um, out of date by the time you publish the book. It's probably out of date, us talking about it now. I mean, I noticed that, you know, Don Zoko, I remember you putting something out on Twitter, uh, you know, you talk about them being in the North East and suddenly they've gone to Scotland. Um, so, you know, it, it is out of date, but obviously there's been a lot of coverage very recently about Brewdog. Did it cross your mind at any time at the final moment, just before your baby is born, to chop off one of the limbs, so to speak? I, um, I lost sleep over it. I'm not going to lie. Um, so the book was written before the Punks with Purpose allegations. And, you know, this is something that I wrote about. Uh, I wrote an article on what was happening for, for Navarra Media. Um, and, you know, I've got, I've had strong opinions on Brewdog over the years. You just Google it. And I've written like 20, 30 articles on, on what they've done. I've written positive articles about them. I've written negative articles about them. Uh, but look, I, I made the decision to leave Brewdog in. There's a lot of breweries that, that are not in it very deliberately, uh, particularly ones that have sold out to, to multinationals um, for a different reason. But Brewdog genuinely changed the drinking experience in the UK uh, for better or for worse. And I do leave it out there that 
you know, everyone's entitled to their own opinion on Brewdog. My opinion on Brewdog is, is pretty well documented, I think. But I left them in the book because you can't tell the story of modern British beer without them. You, you can hate them to your bones, but they, they created an entire market. They create breweries, still copy them to this day. Um, and the, the, the article on them, you know, I talk about my first taste of punk IPA. That's how I reflected on it, my very first sip and how, and then talk about how the beer's changed over the years. And um, I'm gl- I interviewed Martin. I didn't speak to James for the book, but I did uh, uh, interview Martin one-to-one. And what I will say is that he literally showed me the slides and the plans for all of the environmental stuff they're doing. Um, I, that, I was bowled over by, by that. That is genuine. Um, so it doesn't erase the terrible treatment of their staff. Um, that's awful. But I just decided it's important to the story. You know, it's not my, my story. I have editorialized in taking certain breweries out you know, Beaver Town aren't in there, Magic Rock aren't in there. But, you know, I had discussions with my editor about taking Brewdog out and we, we thought about what it would look like and it just didn't make sense. So um, I'm ready to uh, absorb the, the blows on that one. I'm, I'm aware of, of what it means and, and um, I support the punks with purpose and what they're doing and I support unionization within brewing. That's something I'm very vocal about. Um, but yeah, tried to consider taking him out of the book, but it just didn't work. So they're in there. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I take full ownership of that. I think it's, it's right. What you say there though, Matt, that you, you can't tell this story without including Brewdog in it, that there, there, there just would be a hole in, in the story of, 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 of modern British beer. Absolutely. So Beaver Town and Magic Rock are breweries I was very passionate about, but, um, and they were very significant. But if you think about, I guess Camden Town or another one, but they all came after Brewdog and they all followed a very similar model. Their stories are actually quite similar, um, with the one difference being that they sold out to multinational brewers. You could argue that Brewdog are part owned by a private equity company, but then so are Northern Monk there in the book. The book isn't about independence um, it's about modernity and, and my, I define modernity in the second chapter of the book, but, um, yeah, look, I, I decided to take some breweries out, uh, and I just, yeah, it just didn't work without Brewdog being in it. So it's, it's in there. And, uh, I, I, I'm sure that, um, there will be a lot of conversations about it, but as I said earlier, you know, I've got articles out on Brewdog you know, telling lots of different sides of the story. Um, and and uh, it's very important to say I do support the the workers. I, I fully agree with Steve. I think it would have made it a, a tougher read without them in it, despite what's happened at the moment. So I, I, I'm with you. And also I think Steve and I have also had the same battle with our thoughts over Brewdog over the years. Positive one show, a few shows later, having a pop of them for some idiot behaviour. Um, and yes, completely agree with what you said about punks with purpose and unions. I, I can't even say it. Getting union for beer people. <laughs> <laughs> and a money on 3.8% beer. 
I think you, you also said about the, you, you know, the, the role that Brewdog played in it. But I mean, you could probably argue a case for most of the beers in the book in terms of they've all got a place in there because they, they, they do have a particular place to play in the, the development of modern British beer. Obviously, the one that we're drinking now, Yarl, um, you've already spoken about that. And I think the other one that very much jumped out for, for me was your um, opening paragraph to the the. The, the feature of Jaipur in in there as well, mm. and I'm I, I won't I won't spoil it for anyone that's that, that's going to read the book, but I'm just going to read a few words if 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 that's okay. Yeah, please, please do. This is this is a bit of a moment for me actually. <laughs> you, you say um, although this book is filled with the tales of several inspirational UK beers, this is the story of perhaps the most influential of them all. Is is that that's obviously something that 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 you truly believe in terms of Jaipur's impact on 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 modern British beer. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I don't want to do, there's, there's some good nuggets in there about, you know, Martin Dickey uh, and his time at Thornbridge and why he was hired uh, at Thornbridge and, and going on to brew punk IPA. But yeah, that was um, a turning point for, um, for UK beer, not just on flavor, but on ABV and that normalization of, of that, that stronger, pint you know there were lots of examples of american hot beer that are in the book like rooster's yankee there's lots of beers that are really influential in terms of american hops like rooster's yankee is a great example it was really important that i included that beer in there um oakum actually oakum I, you put in jhb not citra um just because i like it more it's my book <laughs> <laughs> but um Jaipur genuinely feels like this pivotal moment, not just because of the beer, but because who was involved in making it and and how it was literally like a one-off for a party. And it just became this icon of Sheffield where, you know, when you get out and get drunk on it, they call it getting Jaipurred. And I had a pint of Jaipur at the City Arms in Manchester on cask for the first time in ages a couple of weeks ago. And I was in town for a little bit and I had one and I just sat there halfway through it thinking I could get absolutely ruined. I could sit here until I'm wobbly drinking this. It's so easy to drink. It's so delicious. It's Jaipur is best on cask. Um, and, I, or, you know, I'm loving cask at the moment, probably because I've, I've not had it for like 18 months and now I'm like a kid in a candy store. And also I live in the north where, where cask is better, of course. <laughs> Well, one step away from that phrase, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I won't say it. But, um, maybe later. Maybe after a few more cans. But um, yeah, uh, that was it. Was but it was one of the hardest pieces to write, uh, just because it has an amazing story. And I could have written like thousands of words on it and had to condense it to less than a thousand. Uh, I will say that Rob Lovett, uh, the head brewer at Thornbridge, who just took the time out to speak to me on the phone about it, was was brilliant. Just context contextualized it all for me he is the steward of that beer today um and uh, he gave some some lovely words but really helped me think about where i wanted it to be in the book interestingly um i didn't know whether to put it in the midlands or in yorkshire but then I <laughs> the midlands, like genuinely like it's this, this is always a, de a debate about it isn't it where 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 does the brewery actually sit it's it's one of the one of the ch most challenging bits was to draw the Midlands North divide, but I think I got it just right. I'm comfortable with it, but um, Thornbridge is a Sheffield institution. It's, so it's tied to South Yorkshire. 
Um, and so it had to go in the Yorkshire chapter because that's where its its roots are. Oh, well, maybe you'll get more flack about where you've drawn the line than you will about Brewdog, Ben. I was going to say, yeah, mate, you, <laughs> you are going to get some grief over that. <laughs> By now, limited edition, modern British beer, hard hats. <laughs> No, I mean, he's, uh, the, I mean, I can imagine it was actually quite tough to to pick out the regions because I I, I would have if I'd ever been brave enough to do it, I would have put um, Formbridge in exactly the same. I would have had the same quandary, but in my head, it's always always associated with Sheffield. You know, it's it's for me, it's it's it may not be where it's brewed, but its spiritual home is definitely in the city of Steel. So I can definitely see where you've gone there. So. We'll get some flack as well now, Matt, to help you out. <laughs> Thank you. It's it's fine. Now, I've I, as we said before the show, it's something I prepared myself for because I have had the opportunity to to do something about it. But if you think about the intro of that book, you've been lucky enough to read it. it there is a lot about Brewdog, and I stand by how important their influence was, um, regardless of their their terrible marketing and, and politics. Um, but I also talk about the Colonel in the same way and and one they're one of the most important breweries i don't think either of you have got to the london chapter yet but um the colonel the colonel and brewdog are like um and thornbridge are like the the sort of pivotal breweries really uh for for my argument i guess i think that's the thing when there's 86 breweries 86 beers you've sort of name checked three there just with the last one with colonel but they're pivotal for you. I think what people will be able to take away from the book is three pivotal breweries and beers for themselves out of that as well, because of some of the names you've got in there. I mean, I've just got up to about a third the way through. So I was just reading your piece about Malisons and their mm. Citra. And again, I hadn't realized that Malisons did so much with uh, single hot cast beers as well as the Citra. Citra, I'm, I'm pretty good on knowing who's doing that one because it is, you know, one of my favorite hops and everyone sort of homes in on the citrus single hot beers. So I think a lot of people will take away their pivotal breweries and beers. You know, for me, Thornbridge Drypour is one of my my own personal epiphany moments. But for other people, it'll be different beers, different breweries in different settings. And I think they'll get that from the from what you're saying, the words plus the pictures as well. Absolutely. And do you know what? In taking out some of the breweries that did decide to sell, uh, that freed up room for breweries like Mallinson's and Torside um, and Rock Leopard, you know, um, and, and Spatch and Hob Day by taking out these, these breweries that had, that had uh, gone down a more traditional capitalist route. Um, it, it freed up the space to write about these other breweries. And I think that's, that's part and parcel of, of the book. It's really important to me. And I'm really happy that there's some, some breweries in there that have, not been written about much before um and that that's exciting to me i think what's also exciting is that this is a camera-backed book as well because like you say there are a number of breweries and beers that you wouldn't normally see featured at festivals or championed or really even name-checked in say you know the monthly camera publications or on the website so it is a very diverse range for camera in there you know they still they're celebrating their 50th or coming up for it, aren't they? It's all wrapped into their 50th celebrations. So it does feel like this book wouldn't have existed five years ago, to me anyway. And can I tell you, they love it. The people internally at Camera Head Office. Um, I think I'll get a mixed reception from the branches. I do know some really great um, 
camera branch managers up here in Manchester and a couple in London who I know will really like it because they're, they're pretty progressive, but yeah, there's a lot of good cask beer in there. And there's, well, there's a lot of amazing cask beer in there. It was really important um, to feature some really strong cask breweries, but you know, neon Raptor are in there. Um, that would, that's probably the most out there beer in the book, the, the Centaur army, the highest rated UK beer on untapped that's had over a certain amount of um, uh, reviews. Also one that is made at least once a year. So one of the rules for the picking the beers that I, that helped me whittle it down was it had to be made at least once a year. Um, so not a one-off beer you can never buy again. Some of the beers in there are core beers that are easy to get. Some of them, there's a couple of supermarket beers in there, but then there's a couple like, I guess, Centaur Army and then Mills Foxpick, where they make a, like less than a thousand bottles a year that are really hard to get hold of. Probably even harder after the book comes out. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's all about, it's modern British beer. So I wanted to showcase, uh, the whole, uh, gamut really. And actually the first line is like, this should be called modern United Kingdom beer, but it, it didn't roll off the tongue as well because <laughs> there's three Northern Irish beers, which, you know, it's not, that's not part of Britain, part of the United Kingdom. But, um, I've been to Northern Ireland a few times and just loved the scene out there and just felt I really wanted to include some breweries I really liked. So it's got Boundary, Heaney and Licada. Um, and, but they're lumped in with, I'll get, another thing I'll get uh, shit for is it's in the same chapter as Wales. I'm like, why didn't they get the room? <laughs> <laughs> I just ran out of room. I'm sorry. Um, so You're just, you're just it, deliberately sparking controversy, uh, Mr. Curtis. Well, if it sells books. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard about selling books, but when you've been chatting, my yarn keeps evaporating. I need to get into mine because um, I haven't got the same beer as you for the, the second uh, beer, but I have got something similar to talk about, and it is from one of the breweries in the book. Okay, cool. I mean, yeah, I mean the, the Jarl, just going back to that, uh, that's almost a second 440 can gone on my part. It's so smashable. And do you know what? As it um, sits in the glass a bit, the bitterness dies down just a little bit. It's not, like, it's not as spiky, is it? Yeah. I think you forget about it. I think you just generally are just enjoying the beer for what it is. And the maybe not the harsh, I mean harsh in the right way as well, like, and spiky, like Steve said, mm. has sort of died away because it always just leaves you with that lovely bit of dryness and bitterness at the back end, enough to get you to just pick up the glass almost immediately. It is, in that respect, it is the beer to just keep, it's just such a fantastic beer to return to all the time it's a really great representation of modern British beer and modern Scottish beer because, you know, it's single hop citra. It's this blonde ale style that really changed things in, in Scotland. Um, ah, I'm giving too much away now. People are going to have to read it, but yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm like, I'm glad we did this beer. It's, it's just one of the, one of the greats. I, I, I do just want to say as well, it, it, it is, it's quite a difficult beer to, to get hold of. I, tried many online shops to to, to source it from uh, very few of which were stocking it um it, it seemed as though the only option was to at one point to buy a case of 24 from the fine hours website which is never a bad thing let's 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 be honest they're not going to get drunk um and, and i did actually drop um ian from from fine a, a dm and said look where can i get the beer we, we want to do it on a show and he, he did very kindly send ours down to us so i do just want to say thanks to ian for making sure that we could actually enjoy these beers on tonight's show with you matt 
And I nearly didn't have any yarl either. And can I say thank you to Lindsay at Cloudwater? So Cloudwater have some cans because they're doing a live stream event with them this Wednesday, um, which will be the Wednesday gone by the time this podcast is out. But uh, they got some down to me this morning, which I bought from from Cloudwater's online shop. But um, I I got four, though, not just two. So there's there's, uh, there's more in the fridge for later. But uh, yeah, thanks thanks to Lindsay at Cloudwater for, for sorting the beers. But yeah, a, a great opener, and and it's really great to hear about the book as as, as well, Matt. And very much looking forward to to that coming out. What we'll do is we'll put um, a link in the show notes to where people can pre-order it. So because um, that's available now, isn't it? Pre-orders on 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 the book. Yes, and uh, you can buy it from some very big retailers, but I do encourage people to buy it direct from the publisher or from a small independent retailer. Lots of tap rooms and bottle shops have been in touch with me about stocking it. And if you are a tap room or bottle shop, you, the minimum order is 10. Um, so get in touch with me and I can facilitate that. But uh, uh, the guys at Siren took 50 copies and I was like, so <laughs> that was emotional. Like, thank you. So I'll be definitely going down to, to the Siren tap yard and doing a, a little event with them. Um, obviously they're in it and a brewery very near them uh is is in the book as well so uh well let's not spoil who that let's not spoil who that might be yeah (laughs) i think it's the the grumpiest man in brewing i don't know but yeah that's that's another thing isn't it because you are actually taking the uh the book on the road aren't aren't you you're planning a bit of a a a tour to promote it where by, by the sounds of it you just get to go and drink at great places and talk about what a fantastic time you had writing this book uh, I think so. Yes. Uh, yeah. I want to do a book tour. That's the plan. I'm trying to get the logistics sorted. It's it's quite complicated, but yeah, I used to do little tastings in London all the time for 20, 30 people. And I thought what a great excuse to get out there and do that and maybe visit some places yeah. I haven't been yet, taste some beers, do some readings from the book and, and uh, then have a suitcase full where I sell them to anyone who's there. Um, and obviously sign a few copies. That's quite exciting to, to, to get to, to sign a few copies um but yeah that's that's the plan uh there'll be a few sort of obvious cities where i get to you know like manchester leeds london but uh, a good example of getting off the beaten track is getting out to finch Hampstead, um uh unity at southampton i'm going to do something at durations tap room um i'm going to get all over uh so uh it's, i'm gonna have to break it down into multiple tours but i'll i'll be uh out and about uh I'm going to give it a few weeks, hopefully for things to calm down a bit out there. But um, now that restrictions have ended, I can I can do a, a book event for 20, 30 people, which is something I'm looking forward to. And, and I bet you're already planning what the T-shirt looks like for that as well, aren't you? <laughs> With the dates on the back. Modern, a- yeah, modern <laughs> British book beer tour dates. Is this a good way to, to segue into the competition? I, I, I think so, yeah. Because, um, well, well, Matt, you, you introduce the competition, and then and then we'll, we'll we'll share the question. And this is exclusive to the Beer O'Clock Show. Um, you guys are running a competition to win a signed copy of the book, which I will personalise for you if you like, and a modern British beer T-shirt. So, shout out to Tida Bradshaw, who did the cover design for the book. You might recognise her work because if you read my magazine pellicle she did all of the logos and stuff for that but she did the cover for the book and it's been made on a t-shirt so um i'm not sure how the competition is going to work you have to have been listening very carefully but i think you have to there's going to be a question on something i've said and uh, you've got a month to answer so plenty of time to listen to the show um and martin and steve will pick 
a winner who will get the signed copy of the book and a t-shirt um so yeah and, and yeah basically all you've got to do to be with a shout of that is um to tell us what the beer was that changed matt's life so if you've been listening carefully you'll know the answer to that once you've got the answer send it to us on a dm don't put it on twitter for everybody to see because that kind of negates the whole idea of it being a competition um you've got until sunday the 15th of august to get your answers into us via dm and then what we'll do we're recording on monday the 16th of august we'll put all those names into a hat and we'll draw a winner and and then we'll be in touch to ask uh where you want your bits sent and if you want matt to personalize a book for you as, as well so uh it is a great opportunity to probably get your hands on it just just after release it'll be very soon uh, after release yeah. yeah um i'll probably send it to you personally from my house so um uh, and if so you if, if you're somebody who lives in manchester they might hand deliver it if it if it's someone in the northwest and i can get there easily I, I will meet them in a pub and have a pint with them as well there you go can't say fairer than that Almost want to enter the competition myself just to go and have a pint <laughs> with Matt up north. You, you can meet me in the pub anytime and have a pint with me, Steve. There you go, Steve. Don't even have to enter the competition for that bit. Come to Manchester and drink some sparkled bitter. You'll love it. <laughs> I, I <laughs> and do. There, and there we go. It's been mentioned. <laughs> it's only taken, what, half hour, 40 minutes to get to, to, get to that point. I've just come to the end of my yell which which I've, I've really enjoyed uh, and and i think it has been the perfect opener to to, to the show and, and perfect to drink while while matt's chatting about his book there so let's move on to the second beer that we're going to enjoy this week the second beer this week for us and that's me and you martin is uh from braybrook and it's their Keller Lager. Uh, again, a beer that features in the Modern British Beer book. Matt, you've got a, a slightly different beer, haven't you? Because you wasn't able to source any Braybrook for, to, for, for tonight. So I did check in a couple of bottle shops in Manchester and I couldn't find any, any Braybrook Keller Lager. Um, but I did have some cans of, which was sent to me by Lost and Grounded, of their new beer, Nostalgic, which is their fifth anniversary beer, um, an all English hopped lager. It's like an English hop Keller Pills. Keller Pills, uh, spoiler alert, is in the book. Um, there's a we can talk about this, but there's a lot of lager in the book. The more I think about it, the more like there is. There's loads of lager in the book. Um, but uh, yeah, so I've got Lost and Grounded Nostalgic. So uh, it's a slightly tenuous link. This beer isn't in the book, but uh, it means we can all have a lager together. Well, well, let's have a little sip, and then you can talk to us about lager. Cheers. Bye, me. Cheers. That hits the spot. We were lucky enough to um, have Braybrook recently and uh, speak to Mario from Braybrook uh, when we did our lager special. And it just brought the whole story to life about everything they've tried to do. And if your appreciation and understanding of lager, if you listen to that show, hasn't increased, um, then I'd be very surprised. Because certainly mine did, even from a better benchmark than it was five years ago. And yeah, the Keller Lager from Braybrook. It just, again, it hits the spot. And today, this is, again, it, the day of recording. It's a perfect day for having a cold, crisp, flavoursome lager. I love it. So um, I list, I love that podcast you did uh, on lager. And Braybrook Keller Lager, as well as being representative of Market Harbour in you know in Leicestershire, it's a part of the, the, the book, part of UK beer that doesn't get talked about a lot. Um, super exciting uh, lager focused brewery but they are tied with um Marsbroy in Bamberg 
and Keller Lager is basically based on the the core Mars Broy beer Ao. Um, I'm not going to try and say the full name of it, unfortunately. I can't, I, I can't do it. But it, it's one of my favourite beers in the world. Not just one of my favourite lagers in the world, one of my favourite beers. And um, it's absolutely outstanding because the malt character in in Braybrook Keller Lager, it's almost juicy. Like, not in, not in a fruity way, but in like a barley sugar. Like, it gets the, the saliva flowing. Um, it's great with food as well. But like, it's... It's a sensational beer, just a bit of German peppery hops. It's just a great example of how far lager in the UK has come. And not intentionally, but loads of lagers ended up going in, like, lol, loads of lagers. Um, what's your kid texting about? It's loads of lagers. Um, ended up going in the book, uh, you know, from, you know, Lost and Grounded, Keller Pills had to be in there. That's that's hugely important. I don't I don't want to, you know reveal too many of the breweries but um there's pretty, i think there's a lager in almost every region there's you know utopian are in there that was important they're quite a new brewery um uh you know isn't that a good isn't that a good example though of matt what you were trying to achieve by talking about modernity because obviously lager either lager and lack of choice back in the late 60s and early 70s was at the forefront of even creating and pushing people to, to bring camera about and lager mass produced lager is still such a large section of the of the the retail online and off sales for beer that i think it's again referencing what we were talking about before for you to just leave lager out would take a whole section of modern british beer out, out of the book if you look at it this way 70 percent of all the beer drank in the uk is lager as a nation, we love lager. You go all over the world, people love lager, and they love it because it's refreshing. But, you know, traditional British lager, like Carling, is not refreshing compared to the classic, uh, you know, Heller's lagers of Munich, for example, um, or the delicious uh, Svetli Lejak of, uh, of Prague. But, um, so I wanted to include a selection of brewers that really showcased lager in its most delicious form and how varied it is because there's lagers in it, but they're all a little bit different. Um, and, uh, you know, as a nation, we love lager. You couldn't really write modern British beer. And if you think about it from a camera perspective, like, yes, they might, uh, you know, they fought against uh, mass produced keg beers from the seventies onwards. But if you go to the great British beer festival or, or some of the other bigger festivals, such as the, the Manchester beer festival in that happens in January that will hopefully happen at the beginning of 2022. Um, there's always a great lager bar, beer sans frontier, don't they? They call it. And it's, it's always rammed and they've got all these amazing German and Czech and Italian lagers um, that, that people love drinking and a lot of, you know, staffed by camera volunteers who also love these lagers. And now I think we have a, a selection of British breweries to be incredibly proud of the quality of lager um, being brewed, but not just the quality, the, the variety of styles. I think if you lined up every lager in the book and there's six or seven, they, they all taste and look completely different. Um, so that's exciting for me. And I, so my beer journey, when I got really into craft beer post 2010, um, I just turned my nose up at it completely initially and it was uh 
I think Pilsner Aquel, you know, it's a mass-produced beer, brewery owned by Asahi, but still made in the traditional way in Prague. That beer, when I drank it fresh in Prague, started to unlock something in me about actually there's something more to this. And then I, I saw breweries emerge, you know, Camden Town, but then uh, Alex Troncoso went over to Lost and Grounded and uh, brought bought in a traditional German brew house, German ingredients, lactic acid tank to slightly acidify the beer and make it taste like it would be made in Germany. And, you know, that's the level of detail going into these beers. It's, it's exciting. This is, a, this is a new frontier, you know. To, you know, this, this is going to change. As much like people have become, over the last 10 years, accustomed to, like, hoppy beers, hazy pales and, and, and West Coast-style pales, in the next few years, people are going to move away from sweeter mass-produced lagers. Because if you compare a, a Keller Pills or, or this beer to, to Carling's or, or Cronenberg or something side by side, you'll notice that the pronounced difference in sweetness. And uh, I think once you're hooked on the, the drier, uh, noble-hopped versions, it's hard to go back. And I think you're just going to see a massive change, especially with the... You know, you look at Utopian and Lost and Grounded, they're expanding, they're ambitious. that They want this to be the lager of the UK. And, you know, Utopian in particular, a significance, because I talk a lot about ingredients and agriculture in the book. That's something that's really important uh, to me. Uh, and Utopian using all British ingredients. And this beer I've got, um, the Nostalgic from Lost and Grounded, is is all English hops. It was um, a collab with Mark Dredge, fellow beer writer, I must say that. But the hops are from Hukin's Hops in Kent, which is um, the hop farm I visited uh, before writing this this book um and it changed my opinion of english hops the the amount of care and attention to detail farmers like ross hukin are giving english hops is that, that's something exciting um that you know that's happening in beer right now i think you're going to see a lot more english hop beers as, as the quality uh, and availability improves just just because the demand is there now really especially you know sustainability you know so many hops are being flown over from Yakima or from the Czech Republic and Germany, Australia, New Zealand. There's going to be a limit to how much we can do of that. And we've got great quality conditions um, in uh, sort of the three counties area and down to Kent and Sussex that we can grow amazing hops. Um and I think we're going to taste more and interesting styles of beer, like fresh East Kent Goldings off the bind taste like fresh lemon. They don't taste like twigs, this twiggy beer thing. Uh, there's many reasons that came about, but like English hops when they are properly handled are, are amazing. And I'm drinking a beer right now that is a lovely example of that. I, th- I think I'll, I'll, I'll speak for both Martin and I when, I when when I say that when we did that lager special and and, and Richard from Utopian revealed that their Chernay was a hundred percent fuggled, we we literally both fell off of our chair at, at that point because I, w- I would if if my life had depended on it I would you're de- never you're dead. <laughs> I, I, I would be dead right now yeah just so surprised because that that beer it's it's absolutely stunning yeah that, that was the one that it nearly went in the book actually. But um, Richard convinced me uh, a different beer was, was a be- better representation of them. There's two or three beers in there where um, the, the person behind the beer was so passionate about the one they said, actually, I want this to be included. In fact, one of the stories, uh, which you'll get to later on, is about how the brewer said, 
I know this beer is important to us, but can I tell you about this one? And essentially told me the story, which I had to write. So, um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, that journey, especially on speciality, uh, incredible beer. Like if that's what fuggles can do when used effectively, then give me, give me all the fuggles. <laughs> yeah, I want it all. I want everything fuggles. Now. Which is not something I thought you'd hear me and Steve say on this podcast a couple of years ago. All me, all me, honestly. Uh, but I'm a huge advocate for English hops. There's a lovely bit uh, towards the end about a brewer using uh, English hops. I, I think I've revealed too many breweries now, and I really need people to buy the book. So. <laughs> um, but there's, there's uh, a, a lovely ode to English hops uh, in one of the entries to one of the beers. So... Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to people reading that one. Uh, I, I, won't, I won't push you for any more examples of breweries, apart from the last one whose beer we're going to feature a little bit later mm. on. Um, because, as you say, we we don't want to give it all away for, for for free, do we? We want people to actually buy the book and experience that for, for themselves. And, and I know you've been very, very strict with us in terms of saying we're not allowed to talk about the end of the book. It, it's like spoiling an Avengers film if, if we talk about the end of the book. Avengers! Assemble. People are going to have to buy it and find out for, for themselves. It's literally the, the crucial uh, <laughs> post-credit scene. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah. It, it's interesting because we're going to drink um, a beer that is really crucial. At one point, I say in the book, this is, this is the summation of modern British beer. Um, and then it goes in a different direction. Um, we can talk about that when we we, cra- we crack open the next beer. But yeah, yeah. It, it it I had the end in my mind though. Like when I was writing the book, like I knew where I wanted wanted it to end, and that was the the nicest part of the book to write. Mostly because you know it's sixty thousand words, and it's nice to finish something <laughs> that length. But um, it, it I had my idea of the conclusion, and it and it it makes sense to me. I'm really happy with it. Um, and it, it, it will, again, I'll have my uh, modern British beer hard hat on for it because, you know, it's, it's a bold statement, but I think it, after reading the book, it should make sense to, to 99% of the people reading it. Some people will, will deliberately decide, I'm not going to like this book regardless. Uh, I've had one person tweet me saying, I'm going to read it with a red pen. <laughs> so. Well, I'm, I'm uh, so it comes out in August. So August, September. so if I start reading the letters page from October in the camera paper, <laughs> that should cover us off for quite some time. What's brewing? Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've got to say, it's really harsh of Mark Johnson to say that he's going to mark it with a red pen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they, they were four hours into drinking pints at the Staley Bridge Buffet at the time. Mark, Mark, Mark has been very nice about it. It was lovely to, to bump into him, and I hope that happens a lot more often at his local that I gate crashed. Um, but uh, that was actually quite emotional you know after lockdown he's a good friend of mine I hadn't seen him in two years we didn't speak a lot over lockdown and then just imagine just like walking into a pub oh, I might bump into this person and then they're there and you don't, we just there was like an extended silence and just big smiles and then the hugs and then pints and pints of Abbeydale moonshine I had to tear myself away I get the feeling that he's almost like the uh the, the pub cat at the Staley Bridge Buffet bar. He's, <laughs> he's always there. He, he is, and, and very affectionate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's no way to bring that round and do a segue into the next section of the show. Yeah. So um, we're just going to go straight into it. This, this week's opinions question. Opinions, 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 opinions. 
convenient. And it's a question that was set by Matt to to tie in with with, with the book, and that was quite simply: Can cask beer be considered modern? So we had five hundred and fifteen votes on this. Eighty five point eight percent of people said yes. Fourteen point two percent of people saying no. And we'll come to Matt for his views on this towards the end, uh, without any spoilers for for what might appear in the book. Um, but let's 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 go through some of the, the the feedback that we had from listeners on this question. From Simon Webster at bees underscore boy. Yes, if it's marketed as such by the brewer or others, is cast dry pour modern? I suspect I know your answer. From Mike McGuire at McGuire Mike. Yes, with traditional cask offerings and some older clientele, the beer can sometimes be considered twiggy and fussy. But with modern breweries, brewers, ingredients, and pubs, bars to dispense, it can definitely be considered more modern. From Beer Nouveau, absolutely it can. The cask is just the method of dispense, like a keg or a can or a bottle. Brewers can use modern ingredients and brew modern styles, knowing it will go into a cask and either make it work or improve it. Cask doesn't have the higher carbonation levels of keg, so the body of the beer will will appear thicker without the CO2 to lift it, so you just brew it with a thinner body. Modern styles such as pastry salts are suited to cask through a hand pour and a sparkler as that will help them with the smoothness of them. It really does come down to knowing the method of dispense and brewing accordingly. And then from Dr. Gaffer Katie of Nomadic Beers at Leeds Brewster, I voted yes as I don't see any of the beers that we make at Nomadic as a cask-led brewery to be old-fashioned. Neil Hayden at Neil Hayden 747 voted yes. To a lot of people, cask is synonymous with the more traditional regional breweries. However, some of the newer breweries have reimagined it and made it something that a wide range of drinkers enjoy, not just the media idea of a real ale drinker. From the Owl Lady, yes, of course it can be. Every generation creates its new modern in spite of what has gone before. Much like fashion, over the years, things always come full circle. Though I will never, ever wear flares. I will always drink cask. From Gideon Foster at Bruchat G. As a method of dispense, no, but what goes in the cast definitely can be modern in style. And from James, James Moosh, I don't think that whether a beer is modern and what dispense it is used are re- related. Modern beer can be cast, keg, can, bottle, just like traditional beer. From Terry Hodkin at Beer with Feather, I voted no because most are definitely not modern. However, I would love to see a classic West Coast double IPA similar to Pliny the Elder on cask, as I think it would work well. We're coming back to that. <laughs> <laughs> From James at Gammon Baron. It's exciting when brews like Cloudwater to bring out a cask beer. There is more to cask than twiggy brown ales and traditional hops. And finally, from the Ale Trail, only if served through a sparkler. Hashtag had to be said. Kind of expected that there. That, yeah, that, that one. Well said. <laughs> Let's go back to that obvious one, first of all. So um, a West Coast double IPA, similar to Pliny the Elder, on cask. Uh, would that work? Well, I had a beer on cask recently. Not a double IPA, but uh, a really, one of my favourite beers. In fact, it's my fridge filler at the moment, Oregon Trail. I know you guys love it as well. I think in that beer, Andy has captured like the, the taste of San Diego. Put that on the can if you like. But I love that beer. And uh, Heat and Hops down the road from me had a cask of it. And do you know what? I had one pint of it. It was really delicious. But that kind of beer, there's so many hot resins. The malt is so sweet. It gets quite cloying. You know, it, it, it's cask is meant to be quite refreshing and sessionable. Um, and you can do that with a stronger beer. 
um, so what, what were we five eight with Oregon Trail? But yeah, after the the end of the pint, it's like this is intense. The bubbles actually help break up that that intensity. Um, I would drink that on cask again. I would drink. I would definitely drink Pliny the Elder. And and for some people listening, Pliny the Elder, the the Latin enthusiasts uh, do do insist on me saying that. But I like to say Pliny because that's how you order it at at their brewery. Um, but it, it, it's an interesting one because that beer is brewed like an English ale. That's open top fermentation. It's Simpson's malt, uh, Golden Promise malt. You know, Pliny the Elder, Pliny the Elder is designed to be like a British beer. It's based on on traditional British brewing. Um, so yeah, it would absolutely work on cask, but it's eight <laughs> percent. So if you knock them, you put that through a sparkler, you'll drink it so quickly. I mean, if you've ever been to the Marble Arch and drank a few pints of Dobber, you know that after three of them, I think you know the room starts. Well, the floor, the, the sloping floor, gets steeper much more quickly than you than you uh, expect. I, I have to admit to have not taken much of what you said in there after you said the words <laughs> Oregon Trail on cask because there was just, just this green mist of envy just descended around me. Um, Barkler as well. <laughs> oh, stop it. <laughs> And thanks for Matt to Matt for being on this week's show. <laughs> Don't buy his book. <laughs> and do you know um, what? I found before we come to whatever, there's one other comment I want to get back to. There's two comments in there which are in direct polar opposites. The one about the method of dispense. So we had one comment saying, as a method of dispense, no, can't be considered modern. And then we had a quite extensive uh, response from uh, Mr. B. Nouveau. Uh, you ever Steve, expect say, anything different from him? Well, no, I, don't, I never. I, I imagine that was the abridged version. He yes, already, it was. Yeah, uh, you know, um, having a very different opinion. And do you think that does impact people's uh, picture of cask beer? So, for example, most people, and I think going back to what Neil said about the media idea of a real ale drinker, whenever politicians want that uh, pub moment, it is serving a traditional ale fairly much in a traditional-looking pub with a traditional type of hand pull. But there are plenty of pubs which serve cask without it being through a traditional handball, but it's still cask beer. So do you think the, the cask, the, the way people view the cask dispense does make it feel less modern? I think the way cask beer is being marketed, you know, by people like Caskmark, Cask Ale Week, who do a great job promoting it, it's been promoted as this traditional thing. But if you think about keg beer, keg beer is not a new modern thing. It's been around for more than 50 years. You know, it, 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 it's, it's as traditional as, as cask through a beer engine. My opinion on cask is moder- the, the definition of modernity is always shifting, but I think cask is intrinsically British and important. And we need to, you know, it can, you can serve any beer through, through a beer engine or, or on gravity. Cask beer is representation of, of British beer culture that you can't replicate anywhere else in the world. You know, you see people do the odd cask in Europe or America or Australia or New Zealand, maybe, but it's not the same. It's, it's, it's as unique to us as, as Munich Hellers. We talk about modern lagers been around for, for nearly 200 years, as we know it. Um, West coast IPA was, was invented in, in uh, the, the, early 80s, late 70s, depending on who you speak to, you know, not a lot of what we do in terms of beer is is actually that modern. Even chucking in a load of adjuncts, um, 
I think Caspier is is what you make of it. Uh, I think it's something to be cherished, but I think it is people see it as traditional because of the way it's been marketed as as this heritage British thing. Um, but I think that's changing. Um, I like you know. I think the problem is with cask is a lot of people have been burned by a bad cask pint. It's it's one one bad pint can put you off it if you're new to it. If you drink it a lot, you know that that happens. Uh, whereas a lot of mass-produced keg beer is is it tastes the same all the time. Um, whereas cask is you need that duty of care from the publican. It's it's an art form, and when it's done well, it you know there's nothing that beats it. It took me ages to get there. I'm probably giving too much away about the book, but um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of love for cask in there, um, and it helped that helped me choose the beers in the book. I'm often called a crafty on on the internet um and i'm like yeah okay well part of you know this debate about craft beer and real ale being different things newsflash they're the same thing they always have been the same thing i'm thinking of that spaceman meme what do you mean cascales been craft beer all along yes it has um it's just a different way of presentation um it took me a long while to realize that but you know, recently I've been drinking cask up here in Manchester and it's just been outstanding. The quality, the breadth of styles. Think about Sonoma by track. That is a modern beer, 3.8%. Um, that is a great example of a modern British beer. Uh, and people want it on cask, but they only sell it to venues they know will do it justice. You can't get it everywhere. Only a, and You won't get it down south they only sell it to venues that um they know will turn it over and I get, that's the thing throughput you know if you can sell a cask in 24 48 hours that's great anything longer than that and and it starts to change um so that's something i've noticed living in the north for the last nine months like when something good goes on cask you go the next day oh, i'll have a pint of that so it's already already run out I saw um, Yarl, I had Yarl on cast this weekend, one of my favourite bars, Reasons to be Cheerful, tweeted that they'd put it on. It was on Instagram, they'd put it on. And so late that evening we arrive, and it'd been on for like four hours, and we get there and they're like, yeah, there's a couple of pints left in the cask. It's nearly all gone. And I'm like, that's, that, but that's, you know, there's an appetite for it. Um, uh, people just, what I've noticed living here is people don't see a divide between them. They just want to drink nice pints and people love a cast pint in the northwest um so i guess i'm in the right place <laughs> oh definitely uh, good definitely uh, steve what's your to stop matt spoiling any more of his book <laughs> you don't even need to read it now just listen to the <laughs> <Pure> Pop, <Joe. laughs> what's what, what's what's your take on the uh on the question well, well i was almost not listening there because i was too busy packing my stuff up to move to the northwest <laughs> um, because just just that that, that it, it, it's just sold it to us there um in in terms of the question i, th I think it's quite interesting because the one the one thing that i'll come come back to time and time again martin is how how many times on podcasts have we had a beer and obviously we predominantly I, i'd say easily most of the time are drinking small pack beers when when we record the podcast mm -hmm. how, how many times have we had a beer from a can or a bottle and almost one of our first reactions has been oh my god i want to try that on cask oh i would say a good 50 percent, i reckon 
Yeah, and I'm sure there are listeners out there that will actually give us an accurate statistic of how many times we have actually said those <laughs> words. But it is it is something that 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 we say quite a lot, and 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 a lot of those beers are from newer breweries, and they are what you would consider as being more modern styles. And I'm, I'm guessing probably even some of those beers featuring in, in Matt's book as well. So I, I, th- I think for me, yes, absolutely. Cask beer can and should be considered as, 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 as being modern. And I think somebody summed it up perfectly in, in, in terms of it's, it's, it's not so much the dispense method, it's the ingredients that go into it that make it what it is. Well, if there was ever the description of an artisanal product, then cask done well from front to back would surely fit that descriptor um so for me i I would completely agree but i also would agree with uh you know other people's thinking but there are times when it seems it's a beer that you should never go near because it's set in the dark ages as well so i think it's still there is still a cask struggle going on out there i think people have a very clear idea that if it's modern keg beers so a lot of the craft beers as we like to call them are modern that's it there's no real discussion and then a much wider discussion about whether it's modern or not and i think some people also don't want cars to be described as modern because they don't want the traditional moniker taken away but i think you can be modern with a good tradition yeah you can you can have both yeah. in, in my mind so, so so could you imagine imagine a scenario where say colonel put out their london export stout limited edition one-off cask that 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 could possibly change the whole thing couldn't it it's a, it would i mean the noise around that one cask in one venue one night only it wouldn't even last a night not not by the time we got there no <laughs> <laughs> so you have done a couple of casks before i think i had a damson porter at their tap room like their old tap room and it was from gravity um yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if they had like Export India Porter on on cask for, as a one-off, I'd, I'd be on the train. Could, could you imagine? Could, could you? I'd, the I'd, people would be on the train from everywhere, Matt. I'd bring my own sparkler. <laughs> no. I, no. I, yeah, I, I, I think if they ever did that, you wouldn't. Yeah, you wouldn't need it. But yeah, that and that's a really good example, actually. That particular beer style from the Colonel on cask just delivered exactly how they want it to be. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose the place to go to would be at their tap room to have it, wouldn't it? But that ain't lasting long. That's not that's getting nowhere near the 24 to 48 hours. Yeah. That, that's just now I don't want to talk either now. So you've had your moment with Matt talking about Oregon Trail on cask. Now I'm just imagining Colonel on cask. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll move on then and, and, and say that, as, as always, uh, we had loads of great comments on, on, on this poll uh, this week. And if you do want to see all of those, there'll be a link in the show notes to the question. You can click through on that and you can have a look at what everybody's been saying. Keep the conversation going. Use the hashtag opinions and you may very well find yourself in this next part of the show. Let us know. Write it down. Let us know. Write it down. Let us know your thoughts and bitter in Lingerness. Write it down. Which is all about the owl lady. 
this this week actually because uh, all of the feedback is about Danny's appearance on, on on the last show and the things that she said and how great they were. So this is just a snapshot really uh, from Bay Beer Reviews. Uh, good to listen to the Our Ladies Leem pub chat from Chicken Dipper at Graham Salander. The Owl Lady is such a pleasure to listen listen to. The hairs on the back of my neck stood on end when she min- mentioned the much-missed Trafalgar wines in Brighton. Great episode, gents. And Simon Clark, Simon Carbon. Great show, guys. Always a pleasure to hear the Owl Lady's guest. Her robust and passionate views on hospitality were spot on. Great to hear about her life as a landlady in a pub local to me. From Paul, you and RCD halfway through the episode and wonderful listening to you talking with regards to danny's memory of dakota as someone that drank a lot of alcohol pops back in the day i have no recollection of this one at all you obviously drank too many paul that's the problem because maybe that's why he has no recollection (laughs) (laughs) from bamba boozler at gregor underscore j another great episode folks you are hitting them out of the park i think the ale lady should become a permanent fixture it's a nice balance I don't reckon it's her last appearance. No, I don't. I don't think so. Not after this feedback. Uh, from Mark Johnson, very much enjoyed this. I completely forgot to send my extended thoughts on the poll, but the Owl Lady skillfully covered everything I would have, have said anyway. Great guest. My feelings on the hard seltzer in the sub box, it doesn't bother me as it was a one-off. Personally, I like the boxes that give me beers I wouldn't normally buy myself. Otherwise, I may well just pick them myself. The most recent Thornbridge box was a great example of that. And then finally from Cask Theology at Cask Theology, listening to the Owl Lady's passionate rant about my beloved hospitality and it's bang on, agreed with every word. Nothing else to say apart from I can only assume that Mark Johnson's um, extended thoughts on the poll were delayed by his four hours in the <laughs> Stanley Bridge buffet, buffet yeah. with Matt. <laughs> I made no apologies. But can I also say, I love that episode. I think that's one of my favourite beer o'clock episodes in uh, opinions episodes in recent times. She was brilliant. Hearing those stories of, of her life in hospitality was someone I follow online. I didn't really know much about that uh, from following her i thought that was exceptional uh, uh, and so uh yeah get danny back on on the podcast and uh, and shout out to the, the ale lady because uh, uh she's well into her, her fitness as well and gives me loads of encouragement on my runs which is always appreciated um but not as much as i appreciated listening to that episode it was fantastic we honestly probably could have gone on for a lot longer on, <laughs> on, on that episode i think I, I think i think the problem was we ran out of beer as very very quickly as as well but I, I think we can probably guarantee that that won't be the last time you'll be hearing from danny will it martin no no definitely not there's no reason not to have her back on i, I reckon she's got plenty more to share yeah easily uh well while we've been going through that i've finished uh well long ago actually finished my braybrook keller lager um and i've got to say uh, a really delicious beer for, for for you to have chosen for us matt um it's a lot of sort of malty bready characteristics uh, and there's a hint of sweetness in it that I think you mentioned earlier on when you was talking about lager, sometimes they can be a little bit too sweet. The, the sweetness in it is so balanced that it never becomes um, sticky sweet or sickly sweet. It's it's just so well balanced. It plays out. Um, and, and yeah, it's just, um, it's crisp and refreshing in a totally different sort of way. I just wish they'd put it in big cans or even better, 500 mil bottles. Like, like whenever I drink one, it comes in a little bottle. And I'm like, I want... 
I want half a litre of this. That would be lovely. I'm going to disagree with you a little. I really like the Braybrook branding. I think it's really distinctive. It really stands out. They're pretty much the only bottle of that shape, I think, in the UK. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it'd almost be a shame to see their beers ending up in cans. I'm just selfish. I just want to drink. I get the volume point from Max when I was in Plymouth and uh, Vessel had their hells on as almost like a permanent line during the summer. And I have to admit, sitting outside in the sunshine, drinking pints of Braybrook Hells was a delight, I have to admit. So I definitely get the, I definitely get the volume point Matt's making there. And especially a night like tonight, if we'd, again, if we'd had a second bottle there, Steve, we probably would have finished it in just the same amount of time. Uh, absolutely. So that's probably a good excuse to move on to our final beer this week. Talking of things in big cans, uh, we've got a big can for our last beer and possibly and I'm, I'm going to put this statement out there what you could possibly describe as the epiphany of a modern day classic steady rolling man Dea. what an important beer and do you want to hear a funny story when i did my first long list of beers for the book i forgot to put it on there oops really <laughs> i'm starting to do the final list and i'm like there's something not right here <laughs> And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> I forgot to put Steady Rolling Man on. Um, so that's why there's 86 beers instead of uh, 80 as originally uh-huh. planned, because that kept happening worth like, this has to be <laughs> on there. Um, but Steady is, is in terms of like the last few years, um, uh, and it, it, there's actually a tenuous link to a very important beer to me, um, because uh, Theo Freen, the, the founder and head brewer at uh, uh, Dea spent some time in Colorado at Odell Brewing uh, doing an internship after his degree in brewing. So uh, he, he learned his trade from one of the best. That's not bad going. I mean, um, I think, St- Steve, you, you're the keeper of the spreadsheets. We I'm did just checking. <laughs> we did the modern day classic, didn't we? And I'm pretty certain Steady Rolling Man was really high up on that list. We, we we did, yeah, but we have also featured it on a show before as as well. So way back in March 2017, we, we, we featured Steady Rolling Man on, on a show where you and I, the, the show was called Geekery, um, and you and I basically spent most of the episode talking about uh, the Flash and uh, <laughs> the, the, the DC television universe. It was just an excuse for us not to talk about beer for once. Um, but yeah, we have featured it before. So, um, but, but yeah, in terms of modern day classics, it's I, I think it's right up there. I suppose we should but dive in, really. Let's, yeah, let's talk about it no more. Can we have Can we have a little taste, please? Cheers. 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 I just I haven't had a can of this um, for ages. It's on tap everywhere in Manchester at the moment. It's quite easy to find on tap. But actually, this can. That I picked up from Heat and Hops yesterday. It's super fresh and it's just deli- like it's delicious. It's so balanced. It's dry, juicy, fruity. Yeah, and then there's there's, there's a little bit of bitterness on the finish. And I've I've, I've got to say uh, immediately, I, I I normally write things off from Daya because it's generally they produce the beers that aren't my favourite style. You, you, you know, they're clay, cloudy, hazy, murky, that sort of thing. But I, I've just had my first sip of that and I'm instantly 
wondering why I don't drink this more or, or why I don't drink this as much as everybody else seems to drink it, because that is a really, really tasty beer. I think one of the reasons is, is simply that, unlike, say, Matt at the moment, we, def- we definitely don't see it on tap. No, I mean, it was it was a struggle for us to source these cans for the show and massive thanks to, to Paul at Two Brews who came through because um, he had some stock in. And then I think I've only had it once and again, it was on can. So I've never had anything other than the canned version myself. But I have to admit, when you pour it from the can, it's actually very clear. And when it settles in the glass, it seems to turn hazy. Yeah. I'm not sure how it does that, but it's definitely does not, do what we often think these kind of beers do, Steve, which is too sugary, too sweet, unbalanced, a bit raw. It's it's definitely not any of those things, really. No, it's, it's just a really, really tasty pale ale. I've just been thinking, like, so this beer is really easy to get hold of in, in Manchester, but if you think about the breweries we have here, like Cloudwater, Track, Pomona Island as one of the younger breweries, they've really normalised that hazy pale as something people really love in this city. And you know, steady is so good. It, it, it's a sure bet, really. So it's no wonder it's it's on tap in so many bars um, because people have really adjusted to that that style of beer up here. I can definitely picture a few bars, which um, if we look at maybe Essex, because my my London my London uh, scene is a little bit out of date at the moment due to recent times. There's definitely a few places who I know would would take Daya on um, on tap, but I've never seen it even there. Like maybe the Alm House or the Vic, Steve. I've never, mm. can't recall Daya being on at any stage. Um, but yeah, I have to admit, so this is a 500 milliliter can, isn't it? Is that right? Yes. I believe so, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, we probably should start talking to Matt about some other stuff because I have to admit, this is actually going down quicker than I thought it would. Yeah, because it's still quite warm this, this evening <laughs> as we're recording, isn't it? So um, yeah, Matt, obviously... It's, it's not just about the, the, the book, although that's what it's about at the moment. Um, that, that there is quite a bit more to you than, than that. And you have um, appeared on the, the Beer O'Clock Show franchise. Maybe that's oh, what I'll start calling it. Um, the Beer O'Clock Show franchise. You, you have appeared a couple of times before. You were on a, a fairly early show that we did. And then your last appearance was back in 2015. Um, which is obviously, what, six years now? Um, so that was back in October 2015. And I know this is the bit that you've been absolutely um, not looking forward to, shall, shall we say. Um, bring just, myself to listen to it. The just, just, just some little highlights, some little snippets from, from, from your last uh, appearance with, with us. So um, we were reviewing Hamilton's N7 beer, which... Um, you absolutely waxed lyrical about you loved that beer back in 20, 2017. It was it was a real staple of yours. Um, and, and you were very, very complimentary about Hamilton as as well as as, as, a, as a brewery back then. Well, do you know what? Um, N7 is a fantastic beer. And um, it was it was probably at its best when Charlotte Cook, who's been uh, in the press a lot recently for for. Uh, her experiences at, at Brewdog, but she was head brewer there for a while. And uh, it's kind of a Sierra Nevada pale ale style, West Coast mm. pale, right? And I, it, it was fantastic. Um, and yeah, I really love that beer. But Hamilton these days are very into the pastry. The, the, you know, that's done very well for them, crunch. Um, and uh, there's a few beers like that I really do enjoy, but like they kind of moved away from, from that. 
I get, you know, but the, I've moved. So I used to see N7 on cask a lot in my North London uh, drinking days. Uh, and no one in Manchester has heard of them. They're, they're a regional brewery, really, mm. in that respect. So, um, but yeah, I'm, you know, I'll, I love that beer. I used to drink so much N7. Like, I think I'm, we're going to find out how much I loved it. Well, hyperbole from me, unheard of. <laughs> can, can I just say the last time I had it was uh, last October because they, they had it on at the Vic in, in Colchester. So I had it on, on, on keg in, in the Vic. And um, I'll, I'll read my exact untapped checking for it. Uh, such a consistent beer, lightly resinous with a subtle pine and multi citrus bitterness. And I gave it four out of five. So I, I think it's, it's still a good beer now when you can find it. But yeah, I'd have to agree that Hamilton don't, that they seem to have, um, I don't know if suffered is the right word, but they've not had the explosion of their distribution that, that, that maybe some of the other London breweries that started around the same time as them had. There's a lot of pubs in North London. They're a pub brewery. Like, like they, they are a keg and, and cask brewery. That's how I think of them. And their cans are all 330s. You know, they haven't been doing the web shop with 440s or, or 500 mils like we're drinking now. So I think, you know, and they're not, they're not a big brewery. I think they did a lot through their tap room. Um, you know, I think the last time I saw Martin in person, we bumped into each other. At Was the it Hamilton, yeah. Tap room, so... Um, because that was quite near where I used to live in North London. So uh, that was a really, really hot day, as far as I remember, because I think we were sitting upstairs. But um, I was definitely wearing shorts, like I am now. Yes, I was wearing shorts as well. And I think then afterwards, I think I left before the uh, food eating competition, if I remember correctly. Oh, um, it was the birthday. Yeah, I was comparing a hot dog eating competition. Yeah, um, and I, I went around. The, I went around the corner to what is sadly no longer there, the craft beer company in Islington. So I went around oh, there yeah. on White Lion Street, yeah, that's yeah, cool. and and drank Colonel to no one's surprise. Well, it's um, it's funny you should mention hot dogs, Matt, because actually that was quite uh the thing that you were talking about back in 2015, <laughs> because you had you had just visited uh the the new Brewdog hot dog bar in oh shit, um, <laughs> and and one of the questions that we actually asked you uh was do, do you think that the uh concept has legs in the long run and uh apparently not would be the answer to, to that <laughs> did i say no um yeah i think you did say no I, I think you said it would it might be like you'd, you'd visit it once and then maybe not go again yeah that didn't it they, they changed that concept on that site so many times uh it got lost didn't it? yeah um yeah yeah. So, so some of the other things as well, uh, I don't want to dwell on this for too long. Um, Vocation had literally just launched and you, Mark, and I were very, very excited about some of the early Vocation beers. Um, oh, we, we couldn't speak highly enough about them. Uh, the biggest news of that particular episode was that um, AB InBev had just bought Sab Miller and we were pondering whether there would be a, a breakup of some of their assets, which again came true um didn't it um you had just finished revamping total hours to to make it more of uh look more professional and and at the time you actually said you were trying to stand out from the crowd a little bit and you were very very excited that you had just started writing for good beer hunting as as, as well mm -hmm. so this this is what i'm saying in terms of it, it feels like you were just on the 
on 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 the cusp of something new in terms of your um, professional beer journey. I will say that that um, a, a lot of things happened around that time. So um, I started doing events at the Duke's Head, which is sadly closed now, not because of the pandemic. Um, you know, sometimes pubs just close, but. Um, I'd started writing my review column for Hot Burns and Black. I started writing for Ferment and then Good Beer Hunting um, came in. Um, and it, that was sort of mid 2015. And I was like, oh, maybe there's some something in this. So early 2016, February 2016 is when I went, I decided to make this my job. Um, and I still, honestly, I have days when I pinch myself. It, I think about how ridiculous my job is, how unnecessary it is. You know, I get to write about beer for a living. Um, I essentially invented the job for myself. Um, but yeah, that was, it was never my intention though. Um, when I started the blog, I just wanted an outlet. Um, but I don't know, when things start going your way and you have a chance to pursue something like that, what are you, what are you going to do? Um, I, I, when, it, when it made sense that I could be a beer writer, I had to do it. And now um, I've been doing it for five and a half years professionally. I want to do it um, until till I'm old. I want to be like Roger Protz. Like this is this is my hopefully lifetime career. Like Roger is incredible. Um, he's been writing about beer for fifty years, written so many books, and and uh, recorded some of the most important things in beer history. And he's he's actually given me a lot of advice, which is you know remarkable. Um, and I and I look to him. And think, yeah, I would, I would like to be in that position uh, one day. And we'll come on to talk about what you're doing with that in a moment. That there are just a couple of other points I want to make about that that last show that you appeared on, and they're not actually to do with you; they're to do with Martin. Because back on that show, Martin almost won our famed prize, this prize. Um, but he was literally pipped to the post on the evening of recording um, by uh, Son of a Gun, who went on to win many, many Prize This Prize competitions. Um, but Martin had also uh, been upgraded in that show to a regular contributor status. So <laughs> that's how, how things end up panning out, eh, eh, eh mate? Um, yeah, if only, years I, on. if only I'd known then what I know now. Yeah, and, <laughs> and just the other thing is, is we did uh, the Hot Topic, which obviously was where we used to talk about the polls that we were running, and that obviously went on to become Opinions, and uh, it was all about pumpkin beers and, and how much we hated them. So some things never change. Well, you know, you know what's coming this autumn, in America at least? Pumpkin seltzers. Oh, let's not even go there. Let's not even go. Let's 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 reel it back into what you're doing now, Matt. So, um, I, I think you've got to be living under a rock if you haven't heard of Pellicle and 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 you're into beer. Um, tell us tell us all about how that came about, what it is, where people can find you, and and where you hope to take it in the future. Uh, Pellicle, um, actually, I, I think I spend most of my time on it or thinking about it. Um, and I need to spend more time doing freelance stuff and pay the bills. Um, but Pellicle is, I love that it's still going. Um, so it's, it's a magazine, uh, it's a website and, and podcast that I founded with a guy called Johnny Hamilton, who's a very close friend of mine. He is uh, a very talented brewer. He works for New Barns in, in Edinburgh. 
makes incredible beer. But it was actually his idea. So I worked for Good Beer Hunting for three and a half years, and I eventually became an editor there um, and then decided to part ways because they were going down more of a, a trade industry reporting route. And I really wanted to focus on, and I was doing more editing and events. I really wanted to focus on on writing, um, which I'm glad I did because I've done a book, which was kind of like the, the objective. Um, so... Not long after I left there, I was a bit at sea and I, Johnny worked at Beavertown at the time and we would go to this bar called Five Miles, which is now a great bar called Craving, uh, which uh, run by two very good friends of mine called Matt and Rachel who are in that site doing it. It's like a restaurant beer bar concept uh, in Tottenham. Please go and visit them. But we we went to um, we went to Five Miles and he was about to go on this trip to the U.S., and um, uh, he had all these magazines in his bag and he was talking about how he was going to take some photos with his film camera and document it and do a little handmade zine called Pellicle. I was like, that's a great name. And basically, we discussed it in the evening and I went home and sent him a text in the morning saying, oh, we should have a chat about this. I think I could uh, do something uh, significant, but I'd also... <laughs> bought the url <laughs> um i'm like this is this is awesome um like and we we had some proper conversations and i said he wanted to do a zine i'm like we could do something really significant like like there's stories that want to be told but like we could maybe pay people uh, and, and create an avenue for, for for beer writers um so we got a little bit of investment um some of which came from my my dad um who had just retired um and he, he you know he's been a huge supporter of mine uh since since day dot you know when you when you tell a parent i'm going to quit my well paying job in distribution to write about beer what <laughs> it doesn't pay as well i'll tell you that but um it is pursuing a passion and he he's just been like down he's like he he loves it um and um we started putting content together for a magazine, but I think, so we're two and a half years, well, not quite two and a half years, but just over two years old. And we, we've just been growing and learning with each piece. Um, we, we have a Patreon, which people support us with, which uh, does very well. It means we can pay for sort of about six to eight pieces uh, a, a month. And we pay the same online rate as the Daily Mirror and the Huffington Post. 20p a word should be higher uh, but you know that's kind of the, the the market rate and we as our support grows we pledge to increase that um you know as a freelancer i i want to support other freelancers but like just to i used to be very controlling about the content i want and now like i'm a bit freer and i'm really it's really interesting the ideas that come to us and i like to edit them and help guide them but the, the most significant thing that happened uh, earlier this year is we we had a bit of money in the bank and we had a, a backlog of work. Johnny's a full-time brewer and I make most of my money freelancing. And we're like, we need to expand the team. And two very good friends of ours who are incredibly busy, but we just really wanted to, to work with them. We reached out to Katie Mather, Shiny Biscuit on Twitter, incredible writer and who's just opened a bar with her partner, Tom, her husband, Tom, called Corto. And Lily Waite, beer writer of the year, um, we like would you be interested in helping us run pellicle uh, we'll give you this we'll pay you a retainer and give you a title associate editor and that happened um 
in uh, May. So uh, just as I finished writing Modern British Beer, uh, I phoned them. And uh, that's been brilliant. So we now have like, we've just had like two managers meetings uh, or editors meetings. Um, and just to like bounce ideas off the four of us, I don't think we'll ever grow any bigger than this. I hope not. I think this is just right for what we want to do. Um, and I hope they they want to work with us for ages. Eventually, Pellicle will will peter out. We'll run out of money. That's that's the plan to just we've got money coming in and everything we earn we spend on making content. And eventually, a few years down the line, that will run its course. I I believe because um, we haven't got like major backing that like to to do stuff. But um, it's just great. And we do we do, we do. I think we're about. 75% beer. We're seen as a beer publication. We are a beer publication, but we do a lot of cider. The cider stuff's really popular. And um, we do a bit of wine and food, which is gradually getting more and more popular. But people seem to dig it. We're, um, uh, we're, we're just a, a magazine that likes to express food and drink culture the way we do. And we get to talk about it from a beer perspective. Um, I think one of, one of the, my favorite things is that my... Uh, Co-founder is a brewer, and he helped actually simplify the language we use. Um, I used to write, I, I got into a point in my professional writing career where I wanted to be as technical as possible and use the right terminology. And he, I, I submitted an article I'd written, and he said, why are you using these words? I'd use them in, he has a Harriet Watt master's in brewing. I would use these to write a dissertation, but like most people don't know what guile means. Um, just say batch, just use words that people use every day. Cause it, you know, it's fine. So that's kind of, we are for the drinkers and it's it actually informed modern British beer and how I approach that as like anyone can pick it up and it, okay. It's a bit, it's a geeky beer book, but, um, the language is not, uh, not difficult to interpret. Um, but yeah, we're having fun with it. And the next step is we're going to get stuck into some bigger topics having a bigger team uh helps us with that um in t talking about racism and sexual harassment in beer um and inequality that will become part of what we do but we're not going to stop doing the profiles this week we've got got a q a with brim stage brewery in the wirral regional brewery they make lovely beer locally but they don't really get talked about and to have a writer locally say, I want to interview Brimstage and then go like, that's great. You Google them. There's nothing out there. So it's, it's lovely. Like Brewsters we did um, a couple of weeks ago and that was, that had such a warm response. So we're just going to keep putting out one to two articles a week. I'm going to try and do the odd podcast when I've got the time. Um, and uh, I love doing it and you know, something must be going right. Cause we've got a little mention in the observer uh, this weekend Um so, which was we had no idea it's literally like 20 words saying here's a magazine here's some a list of independent food and drink magazines to check out so um yeah i'm, I'm glad people dig it we're just like i say we're just going to keep making the content and again that's one of my short answers <laughs> i was going to mention the, the the observer piece um so, so you've, you've already ticked that one off for me the, the, the other thing i just want to say is that um editors meeting is, is is the greatest phrase for having a beer with mates that I've ever heard and um Martin we need more of those go, go, going forward oh I wish it was I am um 
I I take it very seriously. Um, I'm 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 the nasty Johnny's the nice guy. I'm the nasty guy. I'm the one that sends back uh, articles with like, why didn't you speak to this person? Why have you said this? Explain this. Um, yeah, there's definitely a good cop, bad cop thing going on, and I'm I'm the I'm the bad one. Um, but uh, it's great. I um, I thought we were gonna uh, disappear in COVID. Like we're all we've really supported, and our big sponsor is Hot Burns and Black. Shout out to those guys who have been sponsoring us for every two years, giving us a little bit of money every year. Um, and it's incredible. And I just thought, do you know what? This isn't going to continue and we won't be able to do it, but you know, it's a pandemic, but that support has just continued throughout and, um, and, and readership keeps growing. And what's great is that I get emails and DMS from people I don't know who just tell me they they've really enjoyed an article or a podcast episode. And it's like, that's, that's amazing. Just like someone randomly finds it and goes, this was really enjoyable. That's every, every one of those is a win. Um, and eventually, uh, we want to do a print magazine. I think we figured out how to do it. Um, not like, like an annual, um, what I found out in my research about print magazines is it's really, exp- and why there aren't very many, it's really expensive and you have to sell loads of magazines to make, to break even. And we, we don't have, we don't have a huge audience. And so, uh, you know, the, the guys from Hop and Barley who do an amazing magazine have given us loads of advice and we've had lots of chats with them it's really tough so um it's still uh literally number one on our list but we when we do it we'll do it we'll, a bit like modern british beer i don't want to rush into it when we do print we'll do it on our terms and some, something you'll you will cherish rather than just a, a quick issue that's 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 the kind of thing we want to do we'll figure it out there's four of us now Although I will say Lily and Katie are like literally two of the busiest people I know. Um, so I appreciate every second of their time. Lily making amazing beer with the Queer Brewing Project and Katie literally just opened a bar, which I went to a couple of weeks ago, and it, it is as good as you would imagine it to be. Well, it sounds amazing that you have, A, the time to do all that, but then to rope in other people who seemingly shouldn't have any time either to be interested in this project and, and invested in it. Um, I, I reckon the reason why you, you perhaps grew during the pandemic is some of the articles you write get take people away. Um, we couldn't take ourselves away physically. So having those articles from places we haven't visited, from breweries we haven't experienced, from beers we haven't tasted, they're all, they're all stories people want to hear. The escapism um, is just so very important, I think, and that's been provided. So I hope that your um, view about its uh, lifespan is um, ill-judged, if I'm being absolutely honest. We'll figure it out. We need to figure out how to, we put a lot of hours into it. We need to figure out how to pay ourselves a bit more. We just, <laughs> we, um, this year we started paying ourselves a, a small amount every month, um, and, uh, which, which is nice. It's not really, it's, it's less than minimum wage, <laughs> a lot less, but um, it's, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's nice. So thank you to all, all the people that, that read and support us. It's, it's, it's brilliant. And I'm glad, yeah, escapism. We, we're going to keep like w- something that is part of our plan is to stick to our guns and uh, just keep delivering. There's so many stories. To be, like I, when people all message me and say, I'm thinking about starting writing about beer or something, but there's lots of people that do it already. I say, no, like, like do it. There's, there's never enough voices. Um, I mean, you guys must have experienced this in the, the pandemic. There's a lot more beer podcasts now. Mm. Um, but I, I 
I think there's so many, if anyone's covering beer, there's so many uncovered stories, so many breweries that don't have a voice. Breweries are quite shy generally with the media. You know, when I was doing modern British beer, a lot of them are like, oh, you want to talk to us about this beer? Why? I'm like, because I think it's interesting. There's still a lot of that in beer. Um, so, you know, get get writing, get recording, but like, like find the, the uncovered stuff. There's so, like there's two thousand breweries in in the UK, and I think I read about the same fifty <laughs> every week. So it's time to like, you know, to dig into these uh, unwritten stories. I don't know about you, but my steady rolling man is um, rapidly evaporating from 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 the glass. So we probably need to uh, get some questions for Matt from our listeners. Questions, questions, fill my head. So first of all, uh, from Simon Dewhurst at Simo Sloth, uh, what do you think is going to be the next big trend in craft beer? And I'm going to add a little bit to that. How often are you asked that question? Uh, well, at least once or twice a year um do you know what the next big trend is going to be is going to be uh wheat beers um so we've we've seen this amazing move to lagers and now if people are being pulled into craft beer by a good lager then the opportunity is not uh putting a hoppy pail in front of them because that can be quite shocking if you've if you've gone from mainstream lager to craft lager and um you know i'm looking at what happened in in the u.s maybe 10 years ago um but if you look at the amount of Belgian-style wit beers that have come out recently, so um, queer brewing, duration, um, I think uh, Don Zoko have done one. That uh, So it's, it has that sort of lager drinkability, but with that sort of orange peel, spice, but not, not too challenging, but interesting and delicious. And I think there'll be a move to maybe some German-style uh, Hefeweizens as well. So that that for me is is... The next 18 months, definitely a move towards um, uh, wit beers in the Belgian style or wheat beers in the German style. But also, um, I think there's going to be a few nitro stouts because if you look at what Ansbach and Hobday have done, they've done London Black. So a lot of pubs gave up on the craft nitro stout. The Houston tapped in an announcement uh, after lockdown saying, we're just putting Guinness on because people just ask for Guinness. Guinness almost isn't a stout, it's Guinness. It's its own genre of drink. Um, but uh, I think there's an opportunity for for, for nice nitro stouts. So, um, and Spatch and Hob Day. I've not, next time I go to London in a, in a few weeks, I will be trying the London Black. But uh, I think we might see a few more of those. But dark lagers as well, maybe. Um, you know, something that is... is uh, has that roasted malt character but is super drinkable i will just say that maybe a little bit ahead of the curve there at, at, at the weekend at Clayfest, we may have nitroed utopians called it journey speciality um <laughs> and yes it was every bit as good as you imagined it would be if that was poured through a nitro tap i'll tell you what the other trend's going to be is rattlers and i don't mean craft breweries making rattlers i mean the big Rattlers, the, the, the Steagles and Schofferhoffers, they're just going to be on tap everywhere all the time. That that 2.5% fruit, fruity, I mean, it's a wheat beer, it's a wheat beer. Uh, they're going to be a normal thing you see on tap in every venue. It's already happened, but I don't think it's going to go away. That'd be awesome if the, those kind of beers are more regularly found on tap. Who would have thought, Steve, on a podcast, you'd be talking about nitrate fuggles? Exactly. Never. Never. Not nine years ago, mate. 
that would never have uh, even crossed my mind. That's, <laughs> that, that's for sure. Uh, next question is from Malt Travel at Maltau. What is the legacy of the pandemic going to be on the beer world? Is it investment in small pack that will need recouping by the brewers? Therefore, is high ABV here to stay? And are home bars now a mainstream thing? That's a, a, a great question because I think one of the biggest uh, legacies of the pandemic will be table service. Tomorrow, my job is to, I'm going to write an, an op-ed, an opinion piece about table service. I think it's brilliant. Turning up to a pub that I've booked and I know I've got a seat and I can stay for a couple of hours. Um, someone said, oh, you don't get the conversation with bar staff. I've had some lovely conversations with staff in busy pubs, you know, 30 seconds. Um, I, and I have, I've had, I've spent a lot of time in the US where that is just how bars operate. And I admit, and I, I'll be honest that some pubs, will probably like bar service will be better than table service, but I, the places that have done table service well, I hope it continues. I think it's fantastic. Um, I, like, I enjoy that experience and I know not everyone does, but um, food, um, like having a little, just a snack, just a, like something more than a bag of crisps. I think a few pubs have started doing a bit more food or a food pop-up. I think that was a massive opportunity. If, if you're going to sit someone down and you can put like a slice of pizza in front of them or, or, or anything or a toasted cheese sandwich, um, that that's great. Keep like, rather than go have a pint or two and go, I'm hungry, I'm going to go down the road. No, you've got a sandwich maker and you can give them something to keep them going. I, I, I've seen a few places do that. Um, but in terms of small pack, yes, that's going to grow, but there's this, uh, I mean, we could, let's not get too deep into it, but there's this massive disparity between supermarkets and, and, uh, the on trade, the price difference. We're drinking a, a beer like steady rolling man, um, that is six pound a pint, but you can buy hazy IPA in, in the supermarket for two pound a can. So yeah, people are going to stay at home. Um, why would you, a, a lot of people are like, 50,000 cases why would I go to a pub I don't feel safe when I, I can drink beer at home I can get a mini cask um so yeah it, it's going to be it, you know we're only at the beginning of uh, of really recovering we've not even started the recovery from the pandemic yet so there's going to be a lot to work through um and I think the pubs that are going to win are the ones that uh that are willing to adapt rather than resist and say we want to go back to how we are the ones that are going to win are going to be like, you know, maybe it's the combination. Um, maybe it's maybe it's remembering to like print your beer menu and put it on a table. Um, oh, just talking about your table service, beer, I think you made two really good points there. Um, one was literally just how nice it is and talking to people. So hmm. the North City Tap in Leeds, uh, me and my friends, we went there twice and I went there once on my own before I came back again. And every time uh, whoever was serving us came out, they always had time to talk to us yeah. while they were giving us the beers. More so than I would say when we're actually going to the bar and breaking a conversation between the five or six of us. Um, but also, my, if I look back at my traditional beer drinking days in pubs when I'm standing up, then that's probably where my aversion to eating food came from in a pub. Because mm. I, I can't do food and hold a beer. Those two things can't work. Sat at a table and I can smell a food truck a couple of yards behind me, perhaps, then I'm all over that because I'm starting to get hungry. And like you say, I'm not then thinking about leaving. So I think they're two really good points. And I think in relation to Malt Travel, I think the whole home bar thing, 
I've loved some of the home bars I've seen on social media, but I think they're going to be like home gyms. They're, they've got a short shelf life. Can I just say that, like, I, I miss the pub more than I imagined. Like, going to the pub, whether it's for a solo pint or with friends, it's made me more, more productive. Um, I, I love I love that uh, hospitality experience. It's, it's just like it fits into to my my lifestyle. Um, you know, I went to to Heat and Hops to get to see if they had uh, the the Braybrook and the, the Steady, which I did get um, for this. And I just sat down and chatted to to the staff there. Um, had a couple of pints because they do they, they are they are a bar as well as a bottle shop. That hybrid model great it's about a mile and a half walk so it's perfect hot sun stop run away nz pale take the thirst off and then back through to the park cheeky can of sierra nevada in the park on the way home i'm not sure that's allowed in manchester but you know it's you know i i, I really miss getting out there um but yeah i think we're on the road to recovery um you know we'll see we'll see how the next few months pan out um gigs i've got gig tickets um in september i've got i'm going to leeds international beer festival in september i'm not going to the manchester craft beer festival this weekend i don't i'm only single jabbed at the moment so i uh, i'm not don't feel ready but by september i think i'm double jabbed and for a few weeks and that leeds international is what i'm putting down as my this is when i'm going back to beer festivals uh so we'll see how it goes. Fingers crossed. So, so one final question, and this this might bring us full circle back to the book as well in terms of modern British beer. And um, this is from James at Gammon Baron. Uh, what's the best bottled or canned English beer to go with the Sunday roast beef? Ooh. <laughs> now, I know I've got my answer to this. You might as well just say it, Steve. So Adam's broadside, as, as far as I'm concerned. In bottled broadside, I think, is the perfect complement to any Sunday roast doesn't matter what the meat is I always have my bottle of broadside on a Sunday roast beef do you know what I would get if I could I would get a burning sky monolith food or aged uh, red wine food or aged uh, stout a little bit funky that's that that with the roast beef as a as like a a, a big bottle um, yeah burning sky monolith that if, if I could get it I still love a, a bottle of red wine with with uh, roast beef uh, it's hard to argue against that and uh you, you know it's i went to i went what a few years ago i went full beer and then i had and i went i've gone back like in my house you'd have a bottle of each open you, you know and a glass of each if you yeah. mean <laughs> um what do you Mark, have martin yeah i was gonna say martin do you have an answer to that no um, I'm very much a, with, with red meat, I definitely go more the wine route. So I can definitely see where Matt's coming with the, the burning sky. But if I'm being honest, I'm actually still not quite in the food and beer zone a lot of the time. So like, I think we had, when we had Melissa on, we spoke about fish and chips. For me, the best thing with fish and chips is a mug of tea. There isn't a beer which goes with fish and chips better than a mug of tea. Um, sometimes when I'm eating, I just want to focus on the food and have the drinks either side. So I'm, I'm probably not the best best person to ask but i would probably go a bottle of red wine a syrah pinot noir i'll go pinot noir myself lovely and who thought we'd be talking about wine on the podcast nine years ago <laughs> as, 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 as well that's that that's what happens when you bring people on that have got 
a, a much better palette than than yourself. Um, my steady rolling man is as good as done. Um, I have got to say, I've really enjoyed drinking it. It's um, been a bit of a revelation to me, actually, because I will say, yeah, it's been a beer that I've avoided because of what I think it's going to be like. And actually probably just goes to show that you shouldn't let preconceptions cloud your judgment. Um, and I think it's a beer that I'll certainly be drinking a lot more of in the future. I'd agree with that. So I do actually think it was nice that Matt chose this one as a, very complimentary to the other two we had as well. Yes. Yeah, the three beers have been fantastic this evening. And obviously all three of those feature in your upcoming book, Matt, Modern British Beer, which, um, again, this is your, I suppose, your 30 seconds to, to, to really plug that book um, to anybody that, if they're still with us at this stage, are still a little bit unsure about whether they're going to buy it or not. Of course they're still with us. This is, this is opinions. You know, people don't mess around. Um, thank you for listening. Modern British Beer is out on August the 12th. Um, you can buy it from uh, camera.org.uk. Just click shop. Um, it's also available from a few major book retailers, but do try and buy it from your local bottle shop or tap room. Quite a lot have, have got it. Um, do follow me on the internet at Total Curtis on Twitter and Instagram and uh, follow Pellicle Mag as well um, and read our, our weekly content. Um, but don't listen to the podcast. Just listen to the Beer O'Clock Show because it's better. <laughs> <laughs> and, and links to and all of that. that will be in the show notes. So people can find you easily, Matt. It has been fantastic to have you back on with us tonight. I've really enjoyed um, listening to you and listening to your journey and particularly really enjoyed you talking about the book because, it, um, as, as we said at the outset, you, you were good enough to arrange to get pdf sent to us i've not had chance to read it yet because i know you're you're also kind enough to offer hard copies as well um so i know i've got a hard copy coming in the post and i really wanted to enjoy the book with the photography in my hands i i've never i i've converted now to listen to listening to music digitally i'm not sure i'm ever going to be a convert of reading digitally i'm very much old school with that so i'm looking forward to, to to reading the book when it arrives and hopefully uh, a lot of our listeners will do just a reminder that there is a competition we're not going to repeat it here you need to go right back to the beginning to hear that so if you did miss it go back listen again and you can enter via dm martin what's coming up next time you me beers and beery adventures steve so a little bit of a break from our esteemed guests where we'll just chat about what we've been up to. And I think there'll be a few things coming up, actually. I, th I, th I think there are, yes. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, thank you once again to Matt. Thanks to Ian at Fine Owls for sending us down the Yarl. Thanks to Mario at Braybrook for sending us the Keller Lager as, as, as well. Um, enjoyed all of the beers tonight. They have been great. It's been great conversation with you, Matt. And good luck with the book. Good luck with the tour. And as soon as the information is out there, we will share it with people on Twitter so they can come along, listen and get involved in what you're doing. And all that's left to say is cheers. Cheers. Cheers, everyone. Thank you. Thank you.